turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as we'll be specifically looking at verses 12 through 14 this morning. As you're turning there, um, I have a question for you this morning, and that question is, um, have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do? And I see all the kids shaking their head. <laughs> my brother, my sister got me in trouble. No. <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, something happened a couple of Christmases ago. It's kind of a silly story, but, but I pulled into Menards one day in the big, big white van that we drive, and, and I think it was just my wife and I, and I was kind of, we were talking, and we pulled in, and we parked, and we, we went into the store and we did the shopping we were doing or looking around. We came out a little bit later and there was kind of like a guy standing behind a van and I thought, I wonder what this guy's doing, you know, and kind of walked up and and uh, I didn't re realize what was going on until I got closer and I realized I had parked him in. He couldn't get in his car. I had got too close to his door and he couldn't get in his car. And as you might expect, he was a bit upset <laughs> with me <laughs> and, and was letting me know that he was upset. And, um, you know, I forget the words we exchanged. I was trying to be apologetic and say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Let me get out of the way and, and all this. And, uh, um, you know, but I think from his perspective, you know, he looked at me like, like why did you do this to me? Why did you do this to me? And I'm like, I, you know, I didn't mean to do this to you. This is totally, this is accidental. This is, and I'm certainly not characterized by that kind of behavior, you know, of just being inconsiderate or anything like that. But to be fair in that moment, I, I deserved some, you know, uh, uh, talking to, I suppose, because like, I just totally missed it. We pulled up so far that I didn't realize it in the, in the moment. So now, like, ever since then, I've been even more sensitive to that, like, you know, giving people plenty of, of width with a big vehicle like that. But, you know, and so in that case, I bore some, some guilt of overlooking something. I was at fault in that moment. Did it mean that we had to have uh, a certain level of negative emotion and speech, but, but that's kind of what happened a little bit. But then there's times, though, when somebody might come to you and they start telling you about something that they think you've been involved in or that you did and you're sitting there like like what are we talking about I don't know what you're talking about what are, what are you saying you're saying something happened and I was involved I don't even know what you're talking about and there's a and somebody might come to you in an accusatory tone and be like hey why'd you do that to me and be like do what <laughs> what are you talking about and we know sometimes people can come to that idea that you've done something wrong if they've misread a situation or or mischaracterize your behavior or something like that. And we, we know that sometimes we have these personal relational issues that come up because maybe people have made a conclusion about your motive, your decisions, or whatever, and, and they take issue with it. And they come to you and say, hey, why would you do that for? What are you trying to do here? What are you trying to do to me? And you may be like, well, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just trying to be a brother in the Lord or whatever. And when we come to the passage today, as, as Paul continues on dealing with the Corinthians here in 2 Corinthians, that's exactly what's happening in this, what he's explaining. 
the Corinthians were pointing the finger at him for some things that they deemed were failures, personal failures of his, and they were ascribing certain motivation to him and basically personalizing it and say, you doing this to us, uh, you're lying to us, you're changing your story, we don't trust you anymore, you're not welcome here anymore. And that was kind of what's going on, at least in some of the church, at least some group of the church, was taking that position and having that attitude toward the apostle. Now, to just to give you a little bit of context, and we'll talk about this more as we go on to the passage, but, but Paul's plans had changed. He had planned to come to the Corinthians on a certain part of a journey at a certain time, and then that changed, and he had indicated the change to them, probably through a letter or through messengers. But then even his second option changed again. His plans changed for a third time, and he came to them at a different time than he had said. And they took issue with that. And you maybe picked up in the reading of this, the long passage when he says, well, you, you know, they say Paul goes, yes, yes, no, no. Yes, yes, no, no. Like he, what that means is, like, Paul talks out both sides of his mouth. He'll say anything. He'll say this, do that, do this, say that. doesn't mean what he says. They were pointing the finger at him simply because his plans changed. <laughs> and they were ascribing all kinds of motive to him, ill intent, and taking issue with him because of that. And when we come to verse 12, I think we see with Paul a, a spirit of patience, of, of being careful not to be like completely just on the defensive, you know, because when somebody comes and they got the finger pointed at you, it's, it's easy for you to kind of like, oh yeah, bring it on, you know, and get defensive, and then we escalate the issue, the misunderstanding. But Paul doesn't do that. What he does is, you know, I basically will say he kind of stays calm in the Lord. He's explaining, he takes some time to explain what had happened. And as he explains what happened in his own life, he actually continues to shift the perspective back to God. And basically he's explaining God's the one that changed our plans. We're serving God. This is what we're about. We're not trying to deceive you or, or manipulate you or anything like that. We're just serving God and this is how things worked out. But he, he's trying to give understanding. He's trying to give them what happened. So it gives them a greater context so they can see he's, he can still be trusted in their lives. Because one of the things he does throughout this book is he has to defend his apostleship in the Lord because they were attacking him. They were trying to, some in the church were trying to do a little bit of character assassination on him. And he has to stand up and say, no, that's not true. Let me set the record straight. This is what happened. This is what God was doing. This is what's going on. And repeatedly through the book, he, he, he says a few things where he's basically saying, I'm opening up my heart to you. When you look at me, when you look at what I'm doing, he says, what you see is what you get. I'm not living under pretense. I'm not putting up a fig leaf or some kind of facade. I'm just, I am who I am. And he's just, he's seeking a lot of times in this book to reassure them of his character and that he does care for them. So let's turn our attention on verses 12 through 14 this morning. And again, you'll, you'll see this begin to come out in these three verses as he explains what they're misinterpreting 
he explains the situation more fully, but he, he really focuses on character in, in these three verses. And I'm focusing in this passage on godliness lived out. What Paul does is in these three verses is he basically kind of takes a quick snapshot of his life, his ministry, his heart toward them, and says, we're on your side. What you're accusing me of is not true. I'm for you and for the Lord. And so we see a, a, a picture of Paul's testimony in these three verses that he's trying to show the Corinthians, you know who I am. You know how I lived when I was among you. You know that we care about you. So don't jump to these conclusions without any context or what you're imagining went on. So we're going to look at this, these three verses, and we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to pull out of these passages some things for our own life, how we live in, in regards to what's our testimony amongst others, what we say, how we communicate with others, which is we're going we're to focus on the idea of transparency with others, and then finally, whom we serve, which is obviously the Lord, and it paints a picture for us that we all serve the Lord, be careful of judging one another before the Lord. We all stand before the Lord. We all must give account to the Lord on our own. So there's a lot going on in these three verses that Paul brings in here to help explain what really went on and that his motive was still pure. So verse 12 says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. What we're going to pull out of this verse to begin is that in Christ we are to live with integrity. And we'll show that as we make some points here about verse 12. Paul, first of all, talks about boasting. And I think it's important to maybe give some some context of what does he mean when he talks about boasting because when we generally think of somebody boasting we think somebody is being arrogant you know puffing out their chest talking about themselves you know did Paul talk about himself in the third person <laughs> you know that kind of attitude that you sometimes see with some celebrities and so forth but that's not that's not his mentality and actually if you read what he's kind of saying is we boast that we conducted ourselves in the grace of God. If you kind of look at what the main structure of that verse is, we, he's saying, one thing I can be glad about, one thing I can celebrate, is that the grace of God has motivated and compelled me into your lives, and all that I've done towards you has been motivated by God's grace. In one sense, he's celebrating what God is doing in his life that enabled him to reach out to people like the Corinthians. But he's not boasting in his own accomplishments, as it were. He's boasting in what God's done in him. And he's calling to remembrance to the, to the Corinthians, calling to remembrance that, again, you know who I am. You know what I'm about. And as he says, he says, I, I boast in the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. So he's saying, no, 
my life, my life was one of grace towards you. And it came out, and this is where we're kind of focusing, it came out in, and it uses the word, simplicity. Simplicity there. Uh, it may be your Bible uses the word integrity there. But the idea of that word simplicity um, is basically that he was not duplicitous. He was not duplicitous. He was not saying one thing and doing another. He was not trying to put a mask on when he was around them, but he really lived his life a different way. He wasn't the guy they knew. He wasn't living like in this hypocrisy or something. That's what he's saying. We lived in simplicity or, um, as it says, um, well, no, that's the next word, sincerity, but the simplicity there. And see, in our, in our, the way we think a lot of times, we, we probably don't use the term simplicity in our culture and our time like that so much anymore but a word we do use is the word integrity integrity and in English integrity has the idea of wholeness it's like the idea of not being divided so that the implication is when you have integrity you're not two-faced you're not duplicitous you're not a manipulator you're not a schemer you walk in simplicity. You are just about what you're about. What you see is what you get. And that's an important thing for us as Christians to, to possess in our testimony. When people see us, that it's not a facade, it's not window dressing, but that we live in, with integrity and simplicity, and we are who we are. And I think one of the things, too, that we could pull out of this epistle as we thought about it, as Paul puts emphasis on the grace of God, is that when you rest in the grace of God in a personal way, you can rest in who God has made you. Paul didn't have anything to hide. He wasn't trying to put on a show when he was with them. Matter of fact, when you read the epistles to the Corinthians, it comes out that they could point out some of his faults. He really wasn't that great of a speaker. He says, I wasn't, I'm not eloquent. Everybody knew that. He doesn't try to put on a show. and He didn't try to go and use big words to impress them, to make them think he was eloquent. He just simply, he was just a, he just walked in simplicity. This is just who I am. I don't have to pretend when I'm around you. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we probably all go through parts of our life where we have to rest in that more deeply, that God has made you who you are. And by grace, he sets you free. You don't have to go put on your, you know, your Christianese language and, and, and put on a show to impress people or people at church or whatever. At least you shouldn't feel that you have to if you're really just free in who you are in the Lord. You can really just be who you are and therefore you can walk in integrity. Walk in integrity just like Paul does. And so he goes back and he reminds them, no, we weren't, we're, not, we're not being pretentious. We're not projecting some persona. We're not changing our story. You know who we are. We're just, this is what we're about. We're about the Lord. So it calls us to also live with integrity, to not live in any kind of pretentious uh, persona or anything like that. And he also says, as we go on here, he talks about godly sincerity. And the point we'll make here is in Christ, we are to live in purity. Purity. It's a really neat word, the word for sincerity in, in this passage. In the Greek, the word means judged in the light of the sun. 
That's what the Greek word means, judged in the light of the sun. You ever, like, had a dirty sheet or something, you've been trying to wash it, and you think it's clean, and you take it outside in the sun, and you're like, this ain't clean at all, or something like that? Have you ever taken something outside and realized, oh, that doesn't look as good as it looked inside? Because in the light of the sun, every flaw is revealed, every blemish on something like that. And that's what this word kind of refers to. If you really want to see something and you want to find any wart or any flaw, you take it out in the most powerful light you can, the light of the sun. You know, when some of us have done like drywall work, things like that, um, I enjoy doing work, but drywall mudding is not my favorite. It's just kind of finesse and messy and takes time and it's sandy and it's dusty and blah, blah, you know. It's just not my favorite part of any kind of process of, of work. However, when you do something like mud work on a on drywall, if you're building an addition or you're patching something, um, what people do is they, when they do their mud work to see if it's really good, they take a light. Okay, they shine a bright light on it, and they don't just shine it at the wall; they shine it more parallel to the wall, so it's shining along the wall. And then when it does that, you see every little blemish, every pinhole, every warped part or any you know hills and valleys in the wall and then you really know what you got and you and you see that like you can you could shine a light at a wall one way and it look pretty good but but take a closer look from a different perspective now i bet if you could take the wall outside and look at it in the sun you you would see the blemishes real clear but that's the idea and paul says no we lived in godly sincerity he it, that word speaks to motives they had pure motives and he says, I've got nothing to hide. It's like I could go out in the sun. Here's my life. You're not going to find anything hidden. You know, you're not going to find me, again, scheming, trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Years ago, um, today in the Word gave this story about uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And they wrote, during his time as a rancher, Theodore Roosevelt and one of his cow punchers lassoed a maverick steer. They then lit a fire and they prepared the branding irons. Now the part of the range that they were on was actually claimed by a man named Gregor Lang, which is one of, Roose was one of Roosevelt's neighbors. And according to the cattleman's rule of that time, the steer, therefore, belong to Mr. Lang because it was on his ranch but as his cowboy that he was, that was working with Mr. Roosevelt was getting ready to apply the brand Roosevelt said wait a minute that, that should be Lang's brand but instead the guy had Roosevelt's brand and the cowboy said well that's alright boss but Roosevelt said, but, but no, you're putting on my brand. And the, and the cowboy said, well, that's right. And Roosevelt said, drop the iron, get back to the ranch, and get out. Don't need you anymore, because if a man will steal for me, he will steal from me. And so he fired the guy. Now, I tried to find the source of that story to make sure it was true, but it's a good story regardless. <laughs> But you can see there, you know, and I don't doubt it, but 
again, character matters. And, and, and that goes back to the heart of motive. They were accusing Paul of ill motive. And he says, if I was in the light of the sun, you're not going to find any ill motive in me. I'm, I'm for you. I'm for the Lord. I'm just serving with integrity, with purity. And he says, as he says in the passage, he talks about his conscience. He, he's basically indicating, I have a clear conscience. Again, not trying to hide anything. <clears throat> as he goes on in the verse, we see that he, he, he says he lived like this in the world. This is his life in the world. He wasn't just saying when he's at Corinth, but he's saying this is just who I am. This is where I live. But he says, it wasn't with fleshly wisdom. It's by the grace of God. And he says, more abundantly toward you. It, it, that last part of that verse, it's like he's saying, if anything, we were more so wanting to be righteous in, in your midst. We were wanting to serve you with a clear conscience. We were wanting to be forthright with you. To tell you the truth and not hold anything back when we were among you. And he talks about the difference between fleshly wisdom being the motive or, the, or our direction as contrasted to the grace of God again. And this is our next point here. In Christ, we are to live by grace. Simple enough, but it, it takes on shape in our lives and how we walk with others and treat others. He's explaining again that grace governed his life. In other words, when he says he didn't use fleshly wisdom, he's saying he didn't rely on the tactics of the world to help them grow or to move them forward. He didn't rely on salesmanship, like we maybe think of some kind of shady car dealer, you know, trying to sell you something you don't really need or you don't really want. That's not how Paul offered Christ to people. He didn't push it on them, tell them a story. He just spoke the truth in love. He didn't rely on manipulation to take advantage of people's insecurities. You ever see people do that? Like some televangelists, they find people that are gullible and worried and are kind of have fear in their hearts and they play those strings and give money and do this and we'll bless you and they, they, they play the strings of people manipulating That's common a lot of times in religious circles. Paul didn't rely on eloquence to convince them, but just his testimony. He didn't try to, like, talk everything up, make it look better than it was. He just spoke the truth again. He did not rely on guilt like some do, sometimes clergymen or others, guilting people into what they think they ought to be doing for Christ all the time. You need to be given more. If you would give more, you'd be doing this. If you were really following the Lord, and you would be doing this. And they can create a whole system of guilt and put that on a Christian's neck. That's all fleshly wisdom. That's all worldly tactics. That's why a lot of times I'm, I'm you know, like kind of a personal thing here, but I'm, I'm always real careful when a church tries to work more like a, corporation than a body of people 
because I'm not, I don't need corporate wisdom. We need godly wisdom. I don't need to know what the world does. We need to know what the scripture says about how things are supposed to move forward. And people can adopt all kinds of worldly systems and try to paste it onto the church that is his body. And then certain Christian leaders start to employ such tactics to get people to do the things they want to see done, to raise the funds or whatever it is. And they, sometimes people will go really far in that stuff. But what Paul's basically saying is, this is not the way he operates. I think Paul's attitude was, I have one thing to offer you, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's all I've got. That's all I'm about, and that's what I'm going to give to you. And this is what changed his life. This is what set him free to become the man of God that he was, to, to have this kind of testimony. It was the grace of God in his heart through the person of Jesus Christ. And as he, he talks about his testimony, as you go on and we get into verse uh, 13, and, and the focus becomes more on transparency. It's already somewhat present in verse 12, but he's even uh, focusing more on this idea. And again, verse 13 says, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Um here again the focus is on what we say in the issue of transparency and it's interesting how Paul words this verse he says what I wrote to you that's all there is what you read and what it means what you understand that's it there's no hidden meaning you don't have to read between the lines I'm not telling you what I think you want to hear I'm not going to tell you something and then pull the rug out from under you and do something else He's defending against all those kinds of insinuations. Again, they would read his letters and hear from his messengers, and they would, some of them would spin it and, and, and create all this uh, like backstory that Paul's doing this, and Paul's pulling the strings, and Paul's directing the show, and he's trying to get in here and, 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 and do things his way. And, and they were just giving, again, ascribing all this uh, impure motive on him. But he's saying, no, we're transparent. We're transparent. What you see is what you get. A couple of points we'll make out of this passage. First of all, in Christ, we are to communicate directly. To communicate directly. Paul might have been accused of saying one thing and doing another, but he says, no, actually, I told you exactly what I meant to say. I communicated directly to you. I didn't sugarcoat it. Didn't, I didn't give it wrong emphasis or anything. I just told you what the truth was. And that's, again, how he's defending it. It gives us the point that as brothers and sisters in the Lord, if we want to communicate to somebody, the best way is to be gracious but direct. You know, don't, don't try to, I don't know, sometimes we, we, we always want to be sensitive, we always want to be polite, but sometimes we sugarcoat things. And we get into like trying to rely on subtleties or, or some people kind of use subtleties as like manipulation and they try to make underhanded comments. And I mean, it's just, and people may not know what you mean and it's just, no, just, just say what's going on. You can be gracious, but just say directly what's happening. Just say, just get together with somebody and, and talk. Speak directly. 
I think back a few years ago, I had the opportunity to serve on jury duty. And, uh, you know, that, that's a serious responsibility. I took it very serious, you know. It's kind of a stressful thing if you've done it because you're like, I don't want to be wrong. It's all put on you and your 11 associates, and you don't want to be wrong about this. So you're, I'm dialed in. I'm scribbling notes. I'm trying to think through everything. And we, it was a crime that happened in Hartford, and, a, and we had a series of witnesses come up on the stand over a couple of days. And what struck me, though, one thing that struck me through the process is that the defense attorney, there was a defendant, and his attorney, it seemed like whenever she had somebody take the stand or was questioning somebody at the stand, they had to often ask her to restate the question. Because a lot of times when she would ask questions, she like threw out words or an order of words that was like confusing. You know, and, and I can't even think of an example, but it was just, she would say, so do you mean this and you saw this and that? And they'd be like, well, okay, can you rephrase the question? Can you ask that again? Repeatedly through the trial, she was asked to do that. Almost, almost every witness had to ask her to restate a question or two. And as I thought about that, I couldn't help believe that that was not deliberate, that that attorney was relying on some fleshly wisdom, trying to rely on some craftiness. I can't say for sure. I've got to be careful, too. But the way it came across repeatedly, it made me think, is she purposely trying to get them to get jumbled in their own words? Like, she, she just, can you not ask a clear and direct question? It just seemed like it was always more going on with her and how she would word things. And I, and I, I kind of thought that it was. It struck me that way. And I, I, just, I just thought about that example as I was reading this verse. You know, you can, you can try to state things in a way to get people to agree with you or to get people to do something. But again, that's not how Paul operated. That's not, that's not the simplicity that's in Christ. Again, we're just going to be clear. We can speak plainly. We can be gracious, but we can communicate directly and just say, here's what's happening. And we can move forward together. Because when people don't communicate directly, it leaves so many, it, le it just leaves everything tangled and everything's foggy. And you're like, well, what did he mean by that? Or what did she mean by that? And what's going on with here? And then, you know what happens when people don't talk directly? Then the trust level starts to go down. Because you're not sure, like, is this person person says something here and then says this and you're just then you're not sure about them maybe they don't think that of me maybe they're lying to me about me or whatever uh there's all kinds of things like that that go on i don't see paul wasn't he again he wasn't about that he he wasn't about uh, wordsmithing he wasn't about flattery he wasn't about again fleshly wisdom to try to get people to do what he wanted or agree with him no here here's what i here's my mission this is what i'm about here it is simple as that And also, as we look at the end of the, toward the end of the verse, and he talks about understanding a few times, a couple times in verse 13, once in verse 14, the idea of coming to an understanding. Read and then understand. Communication leading to understanding. <laughs> this is relationship 101. <laughs> when you communicate with somebody, a brother, sister, and the Lord, your spouse, your child, the goal is to come to understanding. Not talk at, talk with. Come to understanding. And that's what he was trying to do with the Corinthians. Now, in one sense, he was the apostle. 
And, and once in a while, he has to play that card, by the way, because he is an apostle. He was picked by the Lord. The Lord did appear to him on the road to Damascus in a light brighter than the noonday sun. That does count for something. <laughs> he was given an authority. It was vested in him, and he exercised it faithfully. So sometimes he has to mention that, and you'll see that in this book. But here, what he's saying is, <clears throat> we're just trying to talk plainly with you, so we're on the same page. So you do know who we are and what we're about. Again, we're not trying to hide anything. And so we're always to be seeking understanding. In Christ, we are to seek understanding. Again, we know. I mean, in this situation that was going on with Paul and the Corinthians, all they really had to do was ask a question. Hey, Paul, what did you mean by that? What, when you, when you what, could you just give us some insight on why your plans changed three times? But they didn't do that, as far as we can tell. Instead, one group took what little they knew, made sweeping conclusions, and they were wrong. They jumped to conclusions. I, what did I, I don't know, I heard some kind of joke or something along the lines that, you know, uh, jumping to conclusions is one of the Christian's primary exercises, it seems, or something like that. Like, we're, we're maybe not so good at jumping jacks, but jumping to conclusions we do pretty well. Something like that. I don't know the old joke. But, but jumping to conclusions seems to be a skill that we're all born with and able to exercise without much thought. <laughs> it's always a temptation to hear a matter or hear a little bit of a matter, and maybe from only one person if some, when somebody else is involved, rather than go and get all the context we can and to he have a hearing, to give people a hearing before we go in that accusatory tone or accusatory idea, like they were doing to Paul. Proverbs 18.13 says this, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and shame to him. That's a warning to us to, to be careful of an answer or a judgment we might render without knowing the other side of the story. They knew Paul had changed his plans. Oh, that guy. That guy's a schemer. That guy's a manipulator. That guy's a whatever. All they had to do was ask. Could you just clarify what's going on? Could you, could you just explain that? Could, you go back, could we go back to that last statement and just talk about that for a minute and get some understanding? That's the Christ-honoring way to communicate, to seek understanding when we talk with one another. Because, again, what happens is you get, a, you get part of the truth, jump to a conclusion, render judgments, and all of a sudden you're acting on something that's not even true. And that's going to tear down trust between the two parties that are involved. It tears down the trust and, therefore, the relationship that would be there otherwise. So again, we're to ask people for understanding. We're to approach people with sensitivity, not with an accusatory tone, but to go get the facts and understand what actually happened, what's really, what's really going on here. And that will build trust between people. You know, recently I was asked to participate in a ministry and you know, something to participate, there was a stipulation laid out that to be, I didn't agree with it. I didn't agree with it, and I thought, huh. And you know, and you kind of rest like, I don't know, should I say something? You just do it, just say, you know, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to uh, 
communicate directly and try to go for understanding. So I communicated and I said, look, I'm not, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not with you on this point because I think it, what it does and, and how it affects the people involved. And I said, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not on that. If that's a deal breaker, fine. If not, fine. But, but I, I can agree to everything but this one stipulation. I, 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 you know, and to be honest, this was just via email, so it wasn't a conversation, but that's, you know, because of the nature of it. Just tried to be real clear, real specific, with the goal of understanding. And you know what? We came to an understanding. You know, nobody had to get up into who, who's doing what wrong and what motives are wrong and all this. You know, we set that aside, just spoke clearly, got understanding, and a, a new a new agreement was reached and like hey we'll do it this way okay that's fine let's do it that way and we we went forward together <clears throat> but you can't do that if you jump to conclusions and you begin to act on only a little part of the story so Paul again he was transparent in all of that he lived in transparency with people. I'm not hiding. I'm not sneaking. I'm not changing my story to fool you or anything like that. I'm simply giving you what is actually going on here. In verse 14, as he goes on, he says, As also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So again, the focus comes back to whom we serve, the Lord. And, and again, we're getting a lot of things in this passage really about conflict resolution amongst Christians. You know, again, uh, you stay in simplicity, you stay with the truth, you stay gracious, you speak plainly, you seek understanding. That'll take you far. <laughs> That'll take you really far in any, any relationship. But here, as Christians, there's even a whole other layer to all this. That's when you focus on whom we serve. And, we, and, it, and it puts the, the person you're in conflict with, if it's a brother and sister in Christ, it puts the whole thing in a different, different perspective. Hey, I serve the Lord. You serve the Lord. He's the judge. He's the one that we're here for. So with that in mind, let's seek to work this out and see how we can serve the Lord together. So our first point here as we look at verse 14 is we are to resolve conflicts with one another. That's Paul's heart, and this whole epistle is to resolve the conflicts that existed. Resolve the conflicts that existed. He shows confidence in this verse that they would get there. Now he says in the end of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14 all go together when he says... I trust you'll understand even to the end. Um, it sounds like he's saying, there's coming a time when we, you will understand completely what I'm seeking to communicate. He says in verse 14, you understand us in part. And I think what he's saying there is that part of the church did understand Paul. They did trust that what he said was what he meant, that he wasn't a schemer or anything. But the other part of the church didn't. They, they held an accusation against him. They insinuated he was being deceptive and duplicitous again. So only part of the church had an understanding of who, what he was doing and who he really was, and the other part did not. 
But he's, he gives a confidence, though, that there's coming a time, though, when we'll, it'll be complete. And we'll, you will know. And then when you get into verse 14, you can see, where is he looking toward? He says, the day of the Lord Jesus. In all this context, Paul says, look, guys, one day we will all stand before the Lord. And he, here's our choice. We can resolve this now and come to understanding, or we can wait for the Lord to do it. <laughs> when we stand before him and he'll say, wait, that's not what was going on. Because the Lord will bring light to every shred of darkness in your heart and life when you stand before him. It'll all be revealed. That's what the scriptures tell us. That's what these very epistles, he's going to talk about that more in this epistle, and he's already talked about it in 1 Corinthians as well. But he's saying, we all, say, we all serve the same Lord. And, and I live for that Lord, and I trust you live for that Lord, and one day we're all going to stand before our Lord, the Savior of our souls, and we're going to give an account. And he's saying, I have a clear conscience with this, and I'm, I'm opening my heart to you. Won't you do the same to me? Won't you come to me and seek understanding, and we can work this out now? There will come a time when the understanding's done. It's complete. He says, but let's make it today, and let's not wait till we have to go before the Lord, and he has to show us what really went on. And, the, and the, the, that's what point B is here. We are to walk with others in light of the lordship of Christ. He is Lord, and we are not. So when you make your judgments and your renderings, and your, if you jump to a conclusion, just remember, you ain't the Lord of another person's faith and just quick jump look back down toward the end of the chapter we read this earlier in our scripture reading but one of the things he says toward the end of the chapter verse 24 not that we have dominion over your faith but our fellow workers for your joy for by faith you stand that's Paul's attitude I ain't here to lord over you I'm not your lord I'm your servant I'm your fellow worker I ain't your lord <laughs> You would think he wouldn't have to say that, right? But basically, like, they're basically pointing the finger and saying, you're trying to lord over us. You're trying to be our master. You're trying to control our faith. And he's like, no, I ain't. That's not what's going on here. He says, we all serve the Lord. And it's interesting in verse 14, he talks about this boast. If you continue from 13 to 14, he says, um, I trust you'll understand even to the end that we are your boast. If you take out the parenthetical there at the beginning of verse 14, you're going to come to the understanding that we are one another's boast in the Lord. That's an interesting way to phrase things, isn't it? You are my boast in the Lord. I'm your boast in the Lord. What does he mean by that? Again, I think the way I look at the word for boast there is like, what can we get excited about? What are we glad about? What can we celebrate? And he's saying that when we stand before the Lord, I'm going to look over at you, and I'm going to celebrate that you're right there, and I'm going to glorify God that he's got you there. And you're going to look over at me and feel the exact same way. We're going to be celebrating one another in heaven before the Lord. That's where this all leads. With that in mind, what say you, we work out our problems now? Because we're going to live, we're going to, we're going to live with each other for eternity. We might as well figure it out now. <laughs> Maybe put it that way. But he puts that over there to get the right perspective. This is not just people at odds with each other. These are fellow servants that serve the same Lord and God. And that is so much more motivation to say, you know what? 
let's find understanding now and let's work things out now. Let's resolve our issues now so we can serve him all the more now. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior by simply believing that he died for us on the cross for our sins and rose again the third day, when you simply trust that, Jesus Christ comes into your life. The Spirit of God comes in to indwell you. You become the temple of God. And when you do that, Jesus Christ is not just along for the ride. He intends to be Lord of your life in every area. He intends to be Lord of your tongue. He intends to be master of your decisions. In other words, he plans to be the one seated on the throne of your heart in your life. That's where he belongs. And when he is, when we give him the place due him in our lives, that's when our attitude toward others and our treatment of them will reflect that he is reigning in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your words to us this morning through this passage, and may we continue to understand, as it's explained here, Lord, to, to just let your grace saturate our hearts so that we know that we can just rest in you and walk in simplicity, integrity, with pure motive, and work things out with people. Lord, may these things just become more and more our life patterns as we walk with our fellow believers in Christ. Lord, again, we just magnify you this morning and praise you for the great God you are. We thank you for how you are working, for the Father you are to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.